Matthew. Um, twenty-seven, and we are in verse eleven. We left off in ten last week, and you know what is right now. This is you know I always start this off. I've been starting it off the 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 the, the past several weeks and stating that it's a very difficult week, and indeed it is, uh, because we're studying these passages where our Lord is crucified. And it's building up to that point. And the whole time, you know, in, in past times, he's been telling the disciples, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. But he's assured them, I'm going to I'm going to rise again. The Lord's going to raise me up on the third day again. And these are things that the disciples, they forget. Uh, but then they start to remember these things in the course of time. They start to remember these teachings and how the Lord uses his teachings to comfort the body, um, to equip the body. And these disciples in the book of Acts, they become apostles. It, I, I don't have words to describe the beauty of it. Uh, but in this particular moment, it's very, very difficult what's happening. And I have to be careful because in my flesh, I hate it. I hate it so much because our Lord is about ready to die. But in my spirit, I love it because it's the means by which we can even plead the blood. You know, when the accuser of the brethren whispers in your ear, you know, you plead the blood and you rebuke him. And of course, I'm speaking of Satan, the devil. And here, Jesus Christ, he's with Pontius Pilate in the Praetorium. The Praetorium was the name for an area where it was uh, for the governor of whatever province the governor was. Remember, Rome was in charge of everything. Their domain was huge. And so they had little governors all over the place. And the Praetorium was where the governor's house was. And then there were also like uh, some troops there. And so it's like this big property. Think of like a college campus. Maybe like a, not a huge one, but a small college campus. Where inside the college campus, they have different, you know, they might have a gymnasium and they might have a basketball court, but then they have the cafeteria, then they have uh, dormitories, then they have classrooms. So it's kind of like that, the Praetorium, this area where the governor lived with his family, and then they have the outer courts, and then they have places where the troops can live. And this is where our Lord is. And he's standing before Pontius Pilate. Remember in verse 2 that he's in, in, in uh, Pontius Pilate's house. And here in verse 11, it says, Now Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? You know, remember too that the Pharisees, and they, they were the ones that pro were proclaiming that Hey, you know, this guy wants to replace Caesar. And I'm just paraphrasing. I don't mean to say this guy in, in reference to our Lord, but that's what they were saying. Hey, he's perverting the nations is what they were telling him. He's perverting the nation and he wants to replace Caesar. You know, and it's the cost of following Jesus Christ. It's very heavy here at this particular moment. And it's very heavy in the book of Acts and even in the epistles. It's very, very heavy. You know, people would say that, you know, it's a biblical truth that, you know, we're the light of the world. And Nero, in mocking that teaching of Jesus Christ, he says, okay, you Christians want to be the light of the world? He would kill them and then put them up on a stake and burn them. 
and says, okay, you're lighting up my outer courts. You're lighting up my gardens. And he would go, you know, kick back at night and it would be lit up by burning Christians. He was mocking the teachings of the Lord. So the cost of being a Christian was very, very heavy. You know, there's a free book. I don't know if you have uh, the, the e-book, like a, 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 a Kindle or uh, the Apple book, the iBooks. Uh, but if you do, you know, download Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's free. But I think it might be 99 cents. I forgot. Free or 99 cents. But um, some hardcore stuff in there. Very, very hardcore stuff about how the early church died, suffered persecution. You know, a lot of them, a lot of it was was done, committed by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church. You know, look at what they did. All the reformers, all the people, they were former Catholics. And so they were the learned class. And so what they would do, they would learn, you know, they knew they spoke like they're like, like in Germany. They spoke German. But then like I'm, I'm speaking like Martin Luther, you know, he spoke German. But then because he was in the educated class, he also spoke Latin. And so he was able to read the Roman Catholic teachings. But then he learned Greek. Then he learned Hebrew and he would start to read through the Bible and realize what in the world have I been learning? What in the world have I been subjected to this whole time? Because the Bible doesn't even say those things. All the reformers. Look at Tyndale. Look at the history of Tyndale. And when he started to go against the Roman Catholic Church, and he started to, he wrote the Bible in English, or he wrote the Bible in the language, of the, so the people could read it and understand. The Roman Catholic, they killed him. They killed him. The cost of being a Christian is very high. That's why Jesus Christ says, count the cost. Count the cost. And so here, our Lord himself is before the accusers. And though he says, and Pontius Pilate asked him this question in verse 11, are you king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say, not denying, not denying his kingship. You know, what do you say before your accusers? And somebody says, hey, did you do this or did you not do this? Did you do this? You know, you can be honest. That's what's so cool about having a clear conscience before the Lord. But so many scaredy cats, so many people who are in the pulpits, you know what they do is they're, they're afraid of the people. And they don't want to say, say oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I'm not going to say this. I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I'm not going to say this. And so what do you have? You have churches that are amok. Because you have man-pleasers behind the pulpits. But who are the God-pleasers? Who are the ones who would say, hey, this is sin. You need to repent. Not, this is sin, you're going to burn in hell. You can say, hey, this is sin. And if you don't repent, you're going to burn in hell. But hey, this is sin. You need to repent. God loves you. God is changing you. He wants something new in your life. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants you separate. And it's such a trip because these people, they don't want to teach these things. And I love our Lord so much. He's not a scaredy cat. You know, and he's not. And I love his disciples because right now his disciples are kind of scaredy cats. I meant rightfully so. Because I meant, look what's happening. 
We studied a couple weeks ago when Peter was following Christ at a distance. And then you see the the fall of Peter where like in uh, Matthew 26, verse 33, he says before the Lord and the disciples, I will never be made to stumble. He says, I will never be made to stumble. And then in verse 56, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They all forsook Jesus Christ. In verse 56, it says that all the scriptures of the the prophets might be fulfilled. And so Peter, when he said, I will never be made to stumble, all of a sudden, look at verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance. And then in verse 70, I do not know that man. He says in verse 70, but he denied. They said, you were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. That's denial number one. In verse 71, they look at Peter and they say, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it. He denied with an oath. I do not know the man, exclamation point. Denial number two. And here's denial number three in verse 73. Surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear. And that's when we looked at the old nature. The old Peter is alive and well. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man, exclamation point. And immediately the rooster crowed, just as Jesus Christ told him. And you know what's so cool? You see Peter following Christ at a distance. But you know who else was? Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. Why? Why do I even say that? Because when you read the Gospels, you see all the different perspectives of the same event of what's happening here. They have a different perspective. And we're going to look at that a little bit more where you see like there's only uh, uh, one one uh, writer who captures Jesus Christ before Herod. So where was Mark? Where was uh, where was John? Where was Matthew? The cost of following Jesus Christ for them was very heavy. And I say rightfully so in the flesh. Because it's scary. Just like it is today. Following Christ. You say, oh, I follow Jesus Christ and it's no big deal. Well, you know, keep in mind that we're in our America bubble. You know, for us, it might be where, you know, your friends, family, they think you're the stupidest person on the planet and they don't want to see you anymore. It might be that you lose a job because, you know, you're a Christian or, you know, in your flesh and you're before you were a Christian, maybe you were working a bartender, you know, or maybe you were a stripper. And then all of a sudden you become a Christian. You're like, whoa, I can't do this stuff anymore. So you quit. You say like, well, yeah, it's kind of heavy. Why do you why do you say a bartender and a stripper? Well, because I've heard accounts of these things, people coming to Christ. And it's like, well, I can't do this anymore. I need to honor the Lord with my body. I need to honor the Lord with what I do. I don't want to help people get drunk. You know, and it's so beautiful how people are being changed and transformed by renewing of their minds. But, you know, it costs them a paycheck when they lose their jobs for the name of Christ. And so it costs them their jobs. But then at the same time, what about their friends, the world around them? Oh, 
let's go get drunk tonight. Oh, let's go back and do this job. You can make a lot of money. And who's going to make a stand? Or when you're a man pleaser, you'd say, okay, let's go get drunk. Or yeah, I'll go back to work in this industry. But when you're a God pleaser, you put your stake in the ground and you say, no, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And it's so powerful what happens, what the Lord can do. And we're going to study that more when we get into the book of Acts. And he says here in verse 12, in Matthew 27, in verse 12, and while he was being accused by the chief priests, you know, in Luke 23, verse 2, the Pharisees were saying he's perverting the nations. All these things that Jesus Christ was speaking from, you know, from his birth until now. I shouldn't say from his birth because he was a baby, but from when he was a young kid until now was truth of Holy Scripture. The prophesied coming of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And the chief priests, he says, and while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered Nothing. He's silent before his accusers. You know, and it's like, well, you know, Jesus Christ having the knowledge of all things, having the knowledge of the Father, having the knowledge of Holy Scripture. Moses wrote about him. You know, he could have opened his mouth and just, you know, hammered them. You know, I'm kind of speaking like in like a legalese, you know, like a lawyer. You know, he could have just hammered them. I mean, if you ever see a lawyer like go to town on somebody, it's like, whoa, he's right. In ap- applying the law, he is totally right in advocating and vindicating his client. But what do you see Jesus Christ do? He's silent before his accusers. A complete and total abdication of his will unto the Father. A complete and total denial of self. Remember, he's all alone. The disciples are kind of, they're following at a distance. All alone before his accusers. The religious leaders, the ones who had the knowledge of the law and the prophets, they should be the ones who said, Oh, this is the Messiah. Everybody worship him. They should have. But because they were blind to the spirit of the law. They were following the letter of the law and they were hypocrites, hypocrites. Something that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our master and king hates. He hates hypocrisy. All you gotta do is read Matthew 23. And you know what? Truth hurts. Truth is very painful to the carnal mind. The carnal mind truth is very painful. And you know, here, the accusers of Jesus Christ, the chief priests and the elders, the Pharisees, they think, wow, we got him. He's going to die now. We're going to advocate his death. He's on his deathbed. But if you hit the rewind button and you go back, you just flip the pages back. You start to see something different. All the things that Jesus taught when he was, you know, a couple years prior. How his encounters with the Pharisees, it was relatively cordial. And then as he spoke spoke truth, more truth, more truth, the friction became apparent. And then something happened where the Pharisees, it turns to hatred. 
And then their hatred turned to murder. Like, wow, we got to kill this guy. It's pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance will restrict you from falling to your knees because there is no humility. No humility. Now look at them. We're going to see these passages of the Pharisees. What happens with pride? Not just the Pharisees and the elders and the chief priests, but then also Pilate, also Herod. Pride and arrogance. No humility. And then you see what happens. Jesus Christ answers nothing. In verse 13, then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? The chief priests, the scribes, they were talking smack. They were straight up saying, hey, look what he does. He's breaking the law. And Jesus Christ remained silent. In verse 14, but he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. The governor was like, whoa. He's quiet. His accusers are here saying all these things. And here Jesus Christ is, and he's not saying a word. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23 really quick. Luke 23. In Luke 23, we're going to look at a different perspective of what's happening here. In verse 1, it says, this is Luke's account. Then the whole multitude, so it's a large crowd. The whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. This is all a lie. All a lie. Because it's like, you know, they're saying, oh, he's saying not to pay taxes to Caesar. When Jesus Christ never said that, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God's what is God's. Your give to God what is God's. Give him your heart. And these people, they were looking at the money. Saying that he himself is Christ, a king. You know, in that land, there's only one king, and that was Caesar. I mean, to say there's a, another king that was worthy of death. And under, under Roman culture, Roman law, Caesar was God on earth. Kind of like it was in Egypt. How Pharaoh was God on earth. And Caesar was, you know, like a god. That's how they viewed it. And they're saying that Jesus Christ is saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And then look what happens here in verse 3. Then Pilate asked him, saying, are you, king of, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, it is as you say. It is as you say. That's the account that we read in Matthew. But now it's a little different what Matthew captures or what Luke captures. And so in verse 4, So Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. Remember what we read in Matthew 27, verse 14? How Pilate marveled. Wow, he's quiet before his accusers. But look what happens in verse 5. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And then so Pilate heard the word Galilee, and he started to wonder, Oh, 
What's up with this Galilee? Verse 6. Then when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged, belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. I'll give you an example. Remember how last week I said like, uh, uh, like the president of the United States, giving you like an idea of how this works. The president of the United States is like Caesar, but then the governor of Washington is like Pilate as the governor. But then the mayor of Vancouver is like Herod. That's how those jurisdictions were. So if we look at Olympia, Washington, where the governor was, that would be like where uh, uh, the Praetorium was. And it just so happened that the mayor of Vancouver was in Olympia, Washington. That's kind of what's happening here in this little picture of what's happening. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. What a coincidence. And of course, I kind of say that uh, facetiously because I don't believe in coincidences. Now when Herod, look what happens here in verse 8. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him. And you think like, wow, Herod wants to see Jesus. That's a good thing. No, don't forget that Herod had the head of John, that John the Baptist cut off. He had John the Baptist, his head cut off. Why? Because his stepdaughter danced for him. His whorish stepdaughter danced for him. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. She does a dance and she comes back to him. I want the head of John the Baptist. And because he was a man pleaser, he was like, okay, I don't want to look like a fool with all my friends. And so, okay, we're going to get it. He gives a command, cut off John the Baptist's head. And what was, what was it that John did? Why was he so hated by, by uh, 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 this uh, uh, um, whorish daughter, stepdaughter of his? She corrected Herod. She, or John the Baptist corrected Herod. And it says, hey, this is not right that you have this woman as your wife. Because it was his brother's wife. Kind of like you see in the news with uh, that politician guy where his, the son died and then the other son, you know, left his wife for his brother's dead brother's wife. Sick. Disgusting. Hunter Biden. You know, disgusting stuff. And John corrected him and says, hey, this is not right. You should not have this woman as your wife. And so Herod put him in prison. And what did John the Baptist do? He spoke truth. Truth hurts. And you're going to see it in the book of Acts. How Stephen, are like, you know, like Peter in Acts 2, you know, he gives truth. He gives the gospel. And it says the people were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we do, Peter? And Peter says, you must believe and be baptized. Believe in the name Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. And it says thousands of people became Christians that day. They weren't called Christians. They were called people of the way. They hadn't had the moniker Christians just yet. They were called people of the way, old school. But then you look at Stephen before his accusers. And he told them the gospel. He told them the good news. And it says that they also were cut to the heart. And what did they do? They said, let's kill him. We have to stone Stephen. So when you speak truth, 
Some people will hate you. Some people will want you dead. You say, that's pretty hardcore. Nobody wants me dead. Well, remember, we're in this America bubble. But, you know, I was reading uh, accounts of the persecuted church in Vietnam. And I remember there was this past account, maybe like five months ago, where this pastor was arrested in the, the outskirts of, you know, the, the main cities in Vietnam and kind of like in the highlands. And they have little churches, little communities out there where there's churches. And these pastors, they speak truth. And they get arrested. They get, they, the cops come and they say, hey, stop teaching the Bible. And he's, the pastor's like, I, I, I'm going to keep teaching the Bible. So they arrest him and they beat the pastor up to a bloody pulp. They beat him so bad that he has no teeth. All his teeth were knocked out. I mean, it takes a hard hit to, to knock out a tooth. But can you imagine having all your teeth knocked out? You get your front teeth knocked out. That's easy. You see the hockey players with no teeth. But the molars to be knocked out, you know how hard of a hit you have to take to have your molars knocked out? And this pastor had no teeth. And they released him. They released the pastor so he can go back to church. And kind of a, a warning to the Christians. If you want to believe in Jesus Christ, if you want to continue in this way, this is what's going to happen to you. And the pastor goes and he teaches no teeth and his eyes all bloody and puffy. You know, his body's healing. He's all broken and bruised and he continues to teach the word of God. No teeth. You could barely understand him. And praise be to the Lord. This is happening outside of the America bubble. And you know what happened? They arrested him again and nobody's heard from him. That's the latest account I've heard of this guy. They arrested him again. So they let him go for a little bit to kind of scare the church. And then they arrested him again. Nobody's heard of him. Nobody's heard from him. Pray for the persecuted church. Pray hard for the persecuted church. You know, we think of persecution like, oh, you know, this guy called me a bad name. You know, oh, I'm persecuted. Which I just think, I mean, sometimes it, it hurts. I'm not trying to, you know, minimize that. But what about our brothers and sisters in lands where it cost them their lives? You know, you go to church in the morning and you see your pastor's head on a stake. Go ahead. Go to church. Be a Christian. This is where you're going to end up. This is what's going to happen to your head. But then you look at the world, you know, it, it's prophesied how the world will hate Christians. Led by the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's coming. And how the world will hate Christians. And so look what happens here. This Herod, he was excited, exceedingly glad for he desired for a long time to see him. Because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Remember, it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks a sign. Who is it that wants to see a sign? Oh, yeah. You know, I heard God can do this. So I want to see him do it again. And Jesus Christ says it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. And what does Herod want? He wants to see a sign. He wants to see the miracle. Signs and wonders. That's what people want. What about the false prophet? When you read the account in Revelation, what about the false prophet? When people, well, number one, that people are going to hear the Antichrist. And they're going to hear him speak about peace and peace on earth and, you know, no more wars. Who doesn't want that? But it's a false peace. And then the false prophet comes on the scene 
and says, yes, follow this guy, follow this world leader. He's going to pitch the mark of the beast system and say, yeah, there's no more need for money anymore. All this cashless society. All you have to do is take a mark on your right hand or on your forehead. That's all you got to do. Piece of cake. And it's such a trip. All of a sudden, this false prophet, the Bible says he's going to draw fire from heaven. You know, you know how many people are going to believe? Believe him and his lies? When they see the signs and wonders? Don't forget, Satan performs signs and wonders too. But then look what happens here in verse 9. In Luke 23, verse 9. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. So Jesus Christ was silent before his accusers in the, in, in the uh, praetorium. In front of uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and the chief priests and the scribes, everybody was accusing him. And the, the, the Pontius, Pilate, or Pontius Pilate, he marveled. He marveled that he said nothing. He greatly marveled is what it says in Matthew 27 verse 14. And here Jesus Christ is now before Herod and he still answers him nothing. And it, it blows me away because... Like you don't see a lot of red letters from uh, on the last passages of the Gospels. You don't see a lot of red red letters. But you know what else? Look at all the red letters you see at the beginning of the Gospels. I mean, if you have a Bible that has red letters, when I say red letters, it's the words of Jesus Christ. There's red letters all over the Book of John, all over Matthew, all over Luke, all over Mark. But then towards the end, there's not. Because he's silent before his accusers. And it reminds me of. There's coming a day when the time of talk is going to be over. What is it that you've heard about Jesus Christ before in the past? What is it that you hear about Jesus Christ today in the here and now? And that's what blows me away about these. You know, sometimes it's, you know, Satan whispers in people's ears. And says, yeah, you know, why don't you go ahead and get a bottle of vodka? You know, you're such a stupid hypocrite. Why don't you go jump off a bridge? You know, or you're so stupid. Why don't you go and, you know, leave this life and go into this greener grass over here? It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's part of spiritual warfare. You know, and it's a trip because, you know, it's like, wait a second. Who's going to remember these red letters and not just the red letters? What about the black, the black letters on these white pages? Because the word became flesh. Every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. And who is going to remember these words? And not just remember for the sake of knowledge, but remember and allow this seed to go into our hearts and, you know, into our little ear holes, down to our hearts and where there's, you know, no weeds, no rocks, but fertile soil. Fertile soil. And that's, that's our prayer for everybody. Fertile soil, because the Lord will bring the increase. But then what you see here is Jesus Christ. He's silent before Herod. He says in verse 10, And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. It's getting worse. It's getting amped up. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. They're mocking him. Oh, you say you're the king? Here, wear this robe since you're a king. 
That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with, with each other. For previously, they had been at enmity with each other. Very interesting. This is a friendship based on a common enemy, Jesus Christ. A friendship based on this commonality being, oh, I hate these Christians. I hate these followers of Jesus Christ. I meant, what about your accusers? You know, you go to Thanksgiving, you go to a friend's house, and there's some more friends there, a group of friends. And they say, hey, let's watch this dirty movie. Hey, you know, let's put this movie in. Or maybe you come in the door and there's a movie. You have no idea what it is. And all of a sudden you start to see, hey, you know, the movie's taking a sour turn. And then you leave. You say, hey, I'm not going to subject myself to this stuff. You know, I'm going to leave because I'm a Christian. I want to be changed by renewing of my mind. I don't want to be the same way. I don't, I don't want to go back to the filth. That was the old nature. Why am I going to feed that animal? No, I want to starve that stupid guy. I want to starve that stupid girl. You know, and I want to be alive in Christ and feed upon the truth of God's holy word. You know, and it's so powerful because, you know what? Amongst those friends, amongst those friends, you might have somebody... <laughs> You might have some. I mean, they're going to be even greater friends. You know why? Because of this commonality. Oh, look at this Christian. Look how stupid they are. This movie is so cool. It got the greatest raves. You know, everybody's liking it on social media. You know, they're posting how much they like it. But you don't want to see it. Because, you know, it's got too much, you know, sex and too much this. You're so stupid. And then those friends become even greater friends because of this commonality. And the commonality is they hate you because you're making a stand for Christ. Or you could attract somebody. Somebody might be there just listening, seeing what's happening and be like, you know what? This guy's making a stand. This girl's making a stand. And the salt, it's, it creates a thirst for other people. You know, I like to eat chips sometimes and watch shows, you know, or watch sports. You know, I, watch a, I don't watch basketball anymore. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about boycotting the NBA just because of this whole China thing. I don't like it. And, you know, and it's such a trip. So I might not watch basketball anymore. That's just me personally. Plus, it's a waste of time. You know, I always fast forward to the fourth quarter, the last five minutes. You know, to sit there and watch, you know, two and a half hours of a game. Who's got time for that? You know, and so like, you know, you sit there and you eat some chips, you know, and it's like, wow, it's salty. I'm thirsty. Then you get up and you go get a soda, go get some water, you know, go get some kombucha, you know, and it's like, well, that's what that's what the salt does. That's what when you're the salt of Christ, that's what it does in other people. It creates a thirst. And so, yeah, people might hate you. You might have these common enemies and all you're doing is making a stand for Christ. And these people hate you more and more and more and more and more. But you might have somebody that says, you know what? This person's stand, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. This person's stand is creating a thirst in my heart. He's creating a thirst in my heart. I want that too. I want that too.
You know, it's kind of interesting here because here in verse 12 of Luke 23, Pilate and Herod become friends. I'll put it in another for another frame. Rome and the descendants of Esau become aligned in this common enemy being Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean Rome and the descendants of Esau? Well, don't forget the last day's culture. The last day's culture in our study in Revelation, we talked about the revived Holy Roman Empire. This last like this world system. And how it's going to be against Christians. It's an antichrist world system, literally led by the antichrist. But then don't forget the spirit of the antichrist, which is alive and well, which has been alive and well since, you know, the cross. The spirit of the Antichrist in this conspiracy conspiracy of the wicked. Oh, let's kill the Christians. You say, what do you mean Rome and the descendants of Esau? Well, you know, if you remember our study through Genesis and we looked at the Edomites. One year ago, if I was saying these things to a bunch of scholars, they would say, oh, the Bible's so full of fairy tales. There's no such thing as the Edomites. You know what happened? What discovery was made less than a month ago in southern deserts of southern Israel? The Edomites. Google it. Just type in Edomites. Look at the news and you'll read the articles. They found all these things of the Edomite people. What scholars said two months prior. Oh, the Bible's so full of fairy tales. I don't want to believe the Edomites. All these people, these foreign, you know, there's no such thing. But then these, these discoveries are being made. It's like, wow, you know, there really is an Edomite people. Oh, maybe the Bible is true. You see, it's so cool because as we live, as we get further and further in the last days, you know, it's like all these concepts, these teaching of men, it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe, you know, you tell me I believe a fairy tale. Maybe you're the one that believes a fairy tale. Maybe you're the one that believes a fairy tale. You know, you, you want to make your foundation of understanding sandy ground? What's going to happen when the storm comes? You're going to fall. Your home, your family is going to be destroyed. Come with me, hold my hand and stand on firm, solid foundation. Speaking of Jesus Christ. That's what's called being a fisher of men. Being the light, being the salt. And so Luke captures this account of what happens, Jesus Christ, with Herod. No other gospel captures this account, only Luke. So all the other disciples, everybody was following Jesus Christ at a distance. And so now let's go back to our study in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 27. In verse 15, says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at, the and at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. In Luke 23, verse 19, where we just were, it says that Barabbas was part of the rebellion. He was also a murderer. That's who this Barabbas was. And so in verse 17 says, Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, 
Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? Keep in mind that Christ is, you know, it's Messiah. It's not Jesus. Jesus Christ isn't his last name, you know. It's not. It's Jesus Christ. It's like saying Jesus the Messiah. When you say Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And they're saying, who do you want me to release to you? This is Pilate. He says, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. For he knew, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Pontius Pilate was kind of a savvy politician. He totally knew these religious leaders, the scribes, the high priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were jealous of Jesus. But because he would go and speak and the people would listen to him and marvel. And when Jesus Christ said, hey, don't follow these religious leaders, they're hypocrites. Don't do like they do. And so these Pontius Pilate, he says they knew that he knew that they were envious of him. In verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him. So remember, they're in the praetorium in the area of where the governor lived. And so his wife is in her chambers, maybe in her house. I don't know. And so, you know, it says while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. She was tormented in a dream. Tormented. So powerful what's happening here. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes. You see, these are smooth talkers. Smooth talkers. And you know, they have a knowledge of scripture. They have a knowledge of the Old Testament. These are the learned class. Except they're using their knowledge for evil. They're using their knowledge to kill Jesus Christ. You know, and it's such a trip because you remember when Jesus Christ was silent before his accusers, when he remained silent, going back to uh, 26 in verse 64. You know, they asked Jesus Christ a question where they said, you know, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's these are heavy words that he says to them. They're like using scripture to say, hey, I'm coming back. It's like it's going to be a totally different ballgame when I come back. Remember, he came the first time as the as the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb of God. When you follow the Passover, he, the Passover lamb was supposed to be killed. And when you read the prophecy of Isaiah 53, how it was pleasing to the father by his by his stripes, we are healed. But then at the same time, you get to Revelation and this lamb of God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to judge. It's not pretty for the Pharisees what's, what happens to them. And I'm speaking eternally. You know, in this life, they have might, have might have lived the high life. High society, the learned class. They had all the money, you know, and they had all the accolades of men. But what happens when they take their last breath on earth and they take their first breath in eternity? Without the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their heart, they're going to die. They're going to, you know, there's the second death. 
You say, whoa, that's harsh. It's the same for us. It's the same for people today without the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorposts of your heart. That's what the beauty of repentance to say, hey, Lord, I repent before you. I've blown it. I've screwed up royally. Lord, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, you are my God. You are my Savior. You are my Messiah. You are my King. You are my Lord. You are my Master. And it's like, boom. The blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of your heart. And then you continue to read the Bible and you're transformed by renewing of your mind. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. And you're alive in Christ. And then you grow and you mature. You see how beautiful our relationship is? It's not just to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Let me go get drunk. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Let me go do drugs. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go cheat on my wife. No, it's to say, no, I'm a Christian. I believe. And we move on to perfection. Because the Lord is doing a work inside of us, inside of you, inside of me. And so they ask him this question. You know, who do you want to release? Pontius Pilate says, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ or called the Messiah. In verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. You know, it blows me away. All the, you know, it's kind of a big deal here what's said in verse 20. Because in this persuasion of the multitude, they go to the multitude and these chief priests and the elders, they go to the multitude and then they start to say this. Hey, you should ask for Barabbas. You should ask for Barabbas. Why do I make a big deal about it? Have you ever had people in your life say that? Hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do that. Anytime somebody says that to you, immediately, like in a heartbeat, look at the fruit. Who is it that's saying, you should do this, you should do that, you should say this, you should say that? Who is it that's saying that to you? Because a lot of people get into trouble when they start to follow man. When somebody says, hey, you need to do this, you should do this, you should do that. But then in their life, it's just a mess. They're beating on their wife. They're cheating on their wife. They got needles in their arm. You can see the little holes in their arm because they got needles all over the place. They're going back to the crack pipe. They're going back to the whatever. And they're saying, hey, you should do this. You know what? Let it go in one ear and out the other ear hole. Ignore it. But then what about in the body of Christ? Somebody who's exhorting you or somebody who's warning you. A godly person, male, female, it doesn't matter. You look at the fruit and it's like, okay, this person is saying this. Maybe he's looking out for my best interest. Maybe she's looking out for my best interest. You go to the word and it's like, wow, that was good counsel. But these stupid people, the stupid chief priests and the stupid elders, they're using their knowledge of Scripture. This is the learned, learned class. And they're using their knowledge for evil to destroy the Messiah. 
And they're saying, hey, you should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor in verse 21, remember, Jesus Christ, totally innocent. Totally innocent. Sinless, without sin. In verse 21, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas, exclamation point. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ or who is the Messiah, who called them, it's called the Messiah. They all said to him, let him be crucified. Remember a couple days prior, all the people are shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now is how that translates. Save now, save now. And now all of a sudden, look at how things change. In the course of a day, a couple days, let him be crucified. When the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. What changed? What changed? You know, that's why I say truth hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, have you ever read the Bible and you have these passages that are just so beautiful and, and you, you fall in love with the Lord more and more and more and more. But then all you got to do is turn the page and then you read another passage of scripture and it's like a knife in your heart. Straight up, a knife in your heart. And it hurts. It's painful. And you know what the Lord is doing? He's making you new. He's making me new. He's doing a renovation. He's doing a gut job in your heart, in your mind. It happens all... When I read the Bible, it happens all the time. Wow, Lord, I love you. I love you so much, Lord. And then you read the Bible... And when it's a knife in your heart, you say, Lord, not my will, thy will. And you're the one that yields to Christ. You yield to God. But if you have these preconceived notions, you have these preconceived notions about whatever. If you read the Bible and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to skip this passage because it's too hardcore. I don't like it. I don't like judgmental. You know, so I'm just going to skip this book. I'm going to skip this passage. I'm not even going to read the Old Testament. Don't do that. That's not good. You're going to come across these passages of scripture. And when you, you know, you don't make the Bible yield to you. That's not good. That's idolatry. You're creating another God. But you're the one that says, no, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I had these preconceived notions about whatever. And so, Lord, I'm going to deny my will and align it with your will. Then you're going to read the Bible and it's going to hurt less and less and less and less. And finally, you're going to read the Bible and it's not going to hurt anymore. You're going to come across some passages where it's like, okay, that hurts. Okay, that's painful, but it's not going to be as it's going to be few and far between because the Lord is perfecting you. When you're fully complete, when the Lord is completely done, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. You'll be present with the Lord and you'll await your glorified body. You know, it's so cool, you know, how the Lord works. You say like, what are you talking about a glorified body? These are promises of the Lord. Where death has no power. Oh, Hades, where is your sting? The first death is 
for the Christian, for the believer, is when you believe in Jesus Christ. Death has no power over you. Yeah, you might get in a car accident and die. Yeah, you might, you know, fall off, you know, have an accident. The doctors might, you know, do the thing where they, you know, pump your chest or whatever. But it's not working and then you die. And praise be to the Lord because that's not death. That's just passing over from this life to the next. The second death, that's not good for, you know, for a Christian, there's no second death. There's only one. But the second death is not a good place to be. The second death is not a good place to be. So you know what I say? Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It's like saying, hey, get in the ark. Get inside the ark. And the ark has a capital A. It's Jesus Christ. Get inside. Abide in Christ. Come one. Come all. Get inside. Because you know what? Judgment is coming. You say, oh, it's sunny. It's a bright sunny day. Eat, drink, and be merry. But you know what? The storm is coming. Might not be now. It might not be tomorrow. But the storm is still coming. And the Lord is going to close the door. And judgment is going to befall the earth. And here these people are saying, crucify him. In verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. How that translates, it's like, you know, it's on you. It's not on me. It's on you. But no, all these people partook in, in they participated in the death of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and Gentile. In verse 25, And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Blindness, spiritual blindness, is about to come to all of Israel. All of Israel. And you're going to see that in the book of Acts where the, you know Jesus Christ says, go and teach the good news. Go and preach the gospel to the Jew first. It's always to the Jew first. And then, you know, Peter had issues with that. Peter was like, hey, this is for the Jews only. But then the Lord says, no, go to the house of Cornelius and preach the gospel. He was a Roman. And then Jesus Christ confirmed to brother Paul. He says, go and share the good news to the Gentiles. So this spiritual blindness, it's about to come to all Israel. You say like, you know, there's a lot of false teachers out there who are, they believe in a, a, a replacement theology that God has done with the Jews and that it's for the promises of God or for the church, it's for the church only, for the Christians. I don't believe that. I reject that. Grace came to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. All you have to do is read Romans 11 verse 11. To provoke the Jews to jealousy. You say like, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know what that means. Say, for example, if I want to have closeness with, you know, Oliver and Penny. I use them a lot as my examples. They're partly because they're, they're all I got. <laughs> but say, for example, if I want to uh, have closeness with Oliver and Penny. And so, like, you know, uh, Penny is, you know, way, 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 way over there playing with a doll. 
And then it's like, okay, all of a sudden, Oliver comes over here. He sits down on this little thing, and he's playing, and we're having a good old time. And, you know, he's laughing. I'm laughing, all these things. And Penny's over there. She's going to see it and be like, wait, how come he's getting all the attention? And then she's going to come closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And finally, I have oneness with Penny and Oliver. And that's what the Lord is doing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. What he's doing, it's to provoke the Jews to jealousy. How grace comes to the Gentiles. And you know, Israel's going to be provoked to jealousy. And you think like, how could he want that? It's not that he wants it for the sake of them to be in jealous, to be jealous and die in jealousy. It's to say, hey, no, to prick at their heart and say, no, come to Jesus Christ. Come to the Messiah. Blindness is about to come to Israel, but blindness is going to be lifted again one day when Israel sees Jesus Christ with her own eyes. The prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. There's going to be great mourning. They're going to look at this, you know, this one who came riding on the clouds. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives and he's going to stand there. And the Jews are going to be there. Israel's going to be there. Right. You know, they thought the Antichrist was the Messiah. I'm speaking in past tense, but in a future sense. The Antichrist just tried to kill them. And was successful to a certain degree. But there's a remnant who is saved. And then all of a sudden they don't believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah anymore. And they're going to see Jesus Christ who just came riding on the clouds. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. And they're going to say, what are those wounds in your hands? And he's going to say, it was here. I was wounded in the house of my friends. That's there. And they're going to realize, what have we done? And they're going to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. But here is when it all starts, when they say his blood be on us and our children. And you're going to start to see the heart of Israel as a people become harder and harder and harder. Blindness is about to fall on them. And this blindness is going to be lifted. And that's coming in Zechariah 12, verse 10 and 11. In verse 26, then he released Barabbas, remember, he was a part of the rebellion. He was also a murderer. And, you know, he was you know, going to be put to death, Barabbas. And then all of a sudden he's released. Barabbas was released to them. So powerful because even in his death, Jesus Christ is, is rescuing captives. Rescuing captives free, even in his death. How beautiful this is. Even when they put him up on the cross, you have these two people who are mocking him. They're, they're also on the cross. You know, there's three crosses. And you have these two people. You know, both of them, when you look at read the Gospels uh, in uh, chronological order, both of them mock Jesus Christ. But then when you read in chronological order, you see one of them says, you know what, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus Christ says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. This person had a heart change while he was on the cross. While he was dying, he had a heart change. It's so powerful because it's like, what about the heart change that you and I had? And what about those around us? The ones who can have a heart change just like that. And believing Jesus Christ is the son of God and receiving him as Lord and master. 
And so in verse 27, you know, so he's mocked and beaten by Jews. He's mocked and beaten by the Herods. And, and when he was with Herod, what we read in Luke. And now it's the Romans turn. What's going to happen here? It's the Romans turn. He's rejected by all. Jesus Christ rejected by all. All alone. No disciples. And it's it, My flesh, it kills me. My spirit, I love it so much. Because this is the means by which we are purchased. Purchased. Remember, your body is not yours. Your temple is purchased by the Lord. He has the deed to your heart. Why do I say he has the deed to your heart? Well, you profess to be a Christian. He has the deed to your heart. Well, you know what? I also like to dabble with drugs, sex, rock and roll, you know, beat on my wife, cheat on my wife. Well, you know what? Give him, give Jesus Christ the deed to your heart. This temple that you think is yours, it belongs to the Lord. Honor him, glorify him, that his spirit can reside inside the temple. Look at all the battles that Israel fought and they lost when the Lord was not honored in their land, when the king didn't honor, when the priest didn't honor the Lord, and then Israel started to lose all these battles. The Shekinah glory left Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has left. You read like Samuel, you know, First Samuel, and there's no widespread revelation from the Lord. He's not speaking, he's silent. But then the Lord speaks to little Samuel. Does the Lord have the title deed to your heart? Does the Lord have the title deed to your mind? Does the Lord have the title, me, title deed to everything that you do? If the answer is yes, praise be unto the Lord. Abide in Christ all the days of your life. If the answer is, well, you know, I take the deed back from time to time. You know what I say? Cut it out. Cut it out. Be renewed by tra transforming of the mind, of the spirit. Get a new spirit. Get a new heart. Reckon that old man dead, the old woman dead. So now it's the Romans' turn. Look what happens here in verse 27. In... Oh, it says that he, in verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This scourge, scourging, I have a problem saying that. Scourging, scourging. I just say scourging. But the, the Roman scourging, they would have the, this whip. And it's like the handle of the whip. But then it'd have like a bunch of little leather strips. And inside those leather strips tied to them would be a bunch of metal spikes. It wasn't just like a whipping. It was like straight up spikes. He'd get hit and it would rip into his flesh. And then, you know, there's some doctrines that teach that he received 39 lashes or 40 lashes. But scripturally, it's, it's not in the Bible, the number of lashes that he took. There's no account of the number of lashes. There is an account in Deuteronomy, which is the, the law, that you know no more than 40 lashes. This is in accordance with the law. But there's no evidence that 
Rome honored the law of the Jews. So a lot of people say he received 39 lashes, 40 lashes, but it, there's no account, biblically speaking. So he could have received, you know, a whole bunch, but there's no account of it. Just want to throw that out. And so now it's the Romans turn. Everybody is mocking Jesus Christ. In verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. And yeah, remember, they just scour scourged him. So they beat him over here. And now they bring him back to the praetorium. And they're going to prepare him to carry his cross. It says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. All these troops are around Jesus Christ. And they stripped him. He was naked before them. And they put a scarlet robe on him, mocking his king kingship. Mocking the kingship of our Lord. One day, they're going to stand before the Lord. All these people, it's like these priests, these Pharisees, Caiaphas, you know, Pilate, Pilate's wife. All these people, they're going to stand before the Lord one day. You know, there's people say like, you know... All roads lead to God. Everybody's going to stand before the Lord. Not all roads lead to heaven. Not all roads lead to Zion. There's only one road, one way that leads to Zion. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the one who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But everybody's going to stand before the Lord one day. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. The Virgin Mary can't save you. All these things can't save you. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ. You say, oh, you know what? That's too hardcore. I don't believe that. Well, I didn't make the rules. I'm just the messenger. I didn't make the rules. And so how here you have these Romans. They're mocking him. They stripped him naked. They put a scarlet robe on him. You know, scarlet was the color of royalty. The wealthy class, and they're mocking his kingship. In verse 29, when they had twisted a crown of thorns. Notice the, I mean, so they go and get, like, whoever did it. Maybe it was one, maybe it was two, maybe it was a whole bunch. Just the act of going and, you know, cutting and ripping off and, and getting these thorns and then twisting them together, you know, and twi intertwining them and making it. The, the time it took. The effort it took to mock him. They took time out of their schedule to mock him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You know, he's already bloody. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. He's already bloody. He already received the lashes. He was already scourged. And now they're just mocking. I mean, if you ever have an open wound and then you just put something on it, how much that stings, how much it hurts. How much more our Lord when his open flesh, they put the thing on him, the, the robe on him, you know, and then they put the, the crown on him. They say, here, hold this reed. And he's quiet. He's silent. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. And then all these troops, the garrison of troops, they get on their knee and they bow before him and they're mocking him saying, hail, king of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
You know, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. He says in Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who, were who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from the shame and spitting. Silent before his accusers and they're beating him. It says in verse 31, and when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him. I mean, just that alone. You know, so say, for example, you have an open wound and then you take a T-shirt and you put it on. You put it there. You know, your blood's going to dry. It's going to scab a little bit. It's going to coagulate and it's going to get hard. But then to take that shirt and rip it off. You know how much pain that's going to create again? And that's what they did to him with the robe. Maybe the robe stuck to his back because he had the open wounds and they're mocking him. You know, they put the robe on his back. You know, they go and take the time to make the, th the crown of thorns. And the whole time the blood is coagulating. And now the robe is like stuck to his body. And so they're done mocking him. They got bowed down saying, you know, hail king of the Jews. They spat on him. They took his reed and they struck him on the head. And they're all done mocking him in this particular passage. There's still more mocking. And then they take the word, right? The blood, fresh blood. And he's quiet. He's silent. They took the rope off of him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Completely innocent. He's completed nothing wrong. He's completely innocent and he's all alone like a lamb led to the slaughter. A lamb without blemish. Just like the Lord called for in the Passover. Take a male lamb without blemish. And this is during the Passover week. And here you have the lamb of God. Preparation for his killing. It says in verse 32, Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene. Now, you know, I don't want to get into any wild doctrines by saying this, but in Acts 11 verse 20, there are people of Cyrene in the book of Acts who are preaching Jesus Christ. So I don't know if this, you know, has, you know, uh, like implications of that. In my heart of hearts, I like to think it does. But, you know, like Catholics get into some crazy doctrines. You know, Lutherans, Methodists, they have some crazy teachings about this. But I like to think in my heart of hearts, you know, maybe this was an influence to those Cyrene people. Because culturally, like, you know, we don't have it so much here, but the U.S. is kind of like a melting pot. But like if you were to go to like... Um, um, Guatemala, you know, say we're in Guatemala and then uh, or Guatemala, say we're in Guatemala. And so all of a sudden, like there's this party there and it's like, OK, I'm Peruvian. My wife is from El Salvador. And it's like, you know, you might have some uh, uh, Guatemalans there, some Mexicans there. And it's like amongst that group of people, everybody would know, oh, this guy's Peruvian. This girl's from El Salvador. This guy's Guatemalan. These people are Mexican. I don't know. It's just a cultural thing. Everybody would know. And so this Cyrene, I like to think that there was influence, you know, on the church. What happens in the book of Acts chapter 11? I don't know. But I like to think that. 
In verse 32, now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And you know, this is going to be the last verse that we study here, but I cannot go without saying this about this Cyrene guy. How they compelled him to bear the cross of Jesus. And I don't want to get into crazy... The Catholics get into crazy doctrine by saying it by this particular passage. In my life, and I, I wonder if it's the same with you, but I'm speaking personally now in my life. There's going to be people in your life who encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And you're greatly encouraged by these people. And then... There are going to be people in your life who test you. And you might think like, wow, I don't like being tested. But you know what I say? Rejoice when you're tested. Because you can say like, wow, you know, hey, you know, I'm being provoked to anger. But, you know, I'm not going to sin in my anger. So, you know, praise the Lord when you're tested. It's a tool by which it, you know, turn it around and use it to help you. And they're going to help you in the sense of, you know, your carnal nature to help you die. But then there's a smaller group of people. And I mean, very few. Like, in five, in a group of 500 people, there might be one. Very, very few people who will help you carry your cross. Very, very few who will encourage your death, who will help you carry your cross. Remember, your instrument of death. And I'm not, I'm not advocating suicide. You know, I'm speaking spiritually now. Who is it in your life who will help you deny yourself? It's a very, very select few. And, you know, these are things that, you know, I read this verse and I started thinking about. I don't want to get into crazy doctrine or anything like that. But this is what came to my mind as I was reading this. Like, wow, you know, there's people where it's like, yeah, they're in encouragement. And there's other people who are like, man, you know, this person really rubs me the wrong way. I get angry around them, you know, and I can't hang around them too much because, you know, I don't want to get sin in my anger. You know, mostly it's like they want to talk politics all the time. You socialists, you know, and they start talking about communism. It's like, yeah, I'll hang out with you for about five minutes. After that, I got to step away because I don't want to sin in my anger. And it's like such an environment church. Hey, come to church with me, you know. And it's such a trip because it's like, oh, like. These people will help you with your carnal nature. Because it's like, okay, yeah, my. My carnality around you, it gets too high. So, you know, I'll fight as best I can, as long as I can. After that, I got to jump shit because it's like, I, I don't want, I, you know, I don't want to say what I don't want to say. But then, amongst the people around you, there's very few who will actually help you carry your cross, your instrument of death. Paul was such a guy. Remember there was beef that arose in the church? They're like, wow, you know, uh, this person did this, this person did that. Let's go to court. You know, let's settle this matter in court. And Paul says, hey, why don't you rather let yourself be cheated? 
You know, are you a corpse or are you not a corpse? Remember, because if we're dead to self, we're a corpse. If you or me is dead to self, we are a corpse. People can kick you. People can spit you. Who cares? How is it going to hurt a corpse? Because you're dead to self, but alive in Christ. That's why Peter, you know, they rejoice. Like yeah, Peter here, he was so afraid, not just Peter, but all the disciples. They were so afraid, you know, of what the cost of being following Jesus Christ. But something happens when you get to the book of Acts and they suffer persecution. They rejoice because they were counted worthy to suffer shame. They learn the lesson like, wow, a denial of self. They're no longer persecuting me because I'm just a corpse. They're persecuting Christ. Christ in you, Christ in me. Very, very deep things. What's happening here and how the Lord, he's going to get killed. He's going to go up to the cross. He's going to die. They're going to crucify him. But what's happening here is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Because he rises again. The Lord raises him up. He's the first fruits of, the, of, 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 of being glorified. The first fruits of the resurrection. It's going to happen again for you and for me. The, the, the resurrection. I'm speaking about the, the, the rapture of the church. The gathering together of the church with our Lord in the clouds. A future event, prophesied event. So we're going to end our study here.